Welcome to the First Right Podcast, a weekly conservative news show brought to you by Restoration of America. I'm your host, Nick Jeeves with Restoration News, and this week we're joined by Lathan Watts, VP of Public Affairs at the Alliance Defending Freedom, where he's working on groundbreaking cases that include life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. So what are the pillars of your group, Alliance Defending Freedom? What's your mission when you're going into work every day? Uh, first of all, thanks for having me. And um, the, the pillars of our work, uh, Alliance Defending Freedom is uh, the world's largest nonprofit uh, legal advocacy organization. And we exist to advance the God-given human right to live and speak the truth. Um, we do so by uh, contending in the law, in public policy, in the public square, uh, for the rights of religious freedom, freedom of speech, uh, the sanctity of life, uh, marriage, and parental rights. And we do so because the protection of these rights really are the, the necessary preconditions for human flourishing. And so um, those are the, the major categories that most of our cases fall into. Uh, the details you know, can, can vary, but those are the, the large subject matter areas that we litigate the most. And you worked on the Dobbs case, which in essence overturned Roe v. Wade and sent it back to the states. Can you walk us through a little bit of what that was like and what the landscape now looks like for abortion laws in this country? Certainly. Um, so we were uh, honored to assist the state of Mississippi in uh, defending uh, the law that their state legislature passed uh, to protect life in Mississippi. Um, you know, with the Roe v. Wade and the follow-up uh, Planned Parenthood versus Casey, what the Supreme Court had done was basically uh, preempt all of the, the state laws on that policy issue. So at the time Roe was decided, uh, the various states had you know, varying regulations on abortion. Some were very strict, some were um, much looser. Um, but with Roe, the Supreme Court sort of imposed one standard on the entire country and basically negated, you know, uh, laws that had been passed by state legislatures expressing the will of the people in those states. So when the state of Mississippi uh, passed a law to protect life, uh, it was uh, immediately challenged. Uh, I think if I recall, like even when the governor signed the bill, uh, I think he said something to the effect of, I expect we'll be sued here, you know, within a few hours. And, and they were. Um, so that lawsuit went to the federal district court and then up to the fifth circuit court of appeals and then eventually up to the supreme court now the district court and the court of appeals there they are bound by supreme court precedent so they were bound to apply um, the controlling cases which would be roe and casey uh, to that law and in doing so that you know they they basically said that this law uh, uh conflicts with these with these precedents at the Fifth Circuit, however, even in uh, striking down the law, they included language in their opinion that that basically said uh, that the Supreme Court should reevaluate uh, Roe and Casey. And so that uh, kind of gave us hope. And so when we appealed to the Supreme Court and they agreed to hear the case, uh, we were cautiously optimistic. And uh, as I said, we were honored to assist the state of Mississippi in defending that law and winning the case. Uh, so what the what that decision did was really take the courts out of the policymaking business, which the courts are not supposed to be in the policymaking business. Uh, the Constitution was, you know, very clear that policy should be made by those who are accountable to the people, 
uh, via you know the ballot box. And so what Dobbs did was return that policy making issue to the people's elected representatives uh, at the state and the federal legislative level and to some degree at the executive level as well. Can we get a quick update too on a case that you were working on where you had high school athletes, female athletes forfeit a game against an opponent because there was a transgender player, biological male. That case seems to be reinstated and is back in action. Can you give us an update on what's going on there? Um, yes. So, um, as you said, um, they, uh, the athletes and the school um, did not want uh, females competing against biological males. And so they did uh, forfeit a game. Um, that led to uh, some uh, basically some consequences put on that school and the team, uh, which then led to litigation. Um, and at the appellate level, they basically reinstated our client's right to bring uh, the suit to challenge what had happened to them. So now we will get really to the merits of that case. And uh, we're, again, you know, hopeful, cautiously optimistic that um, uh, that we will eventually get a win uh, for that school and those athletes. And I just want to quickly jump back to abortion as well. Let's talk about Ohio. Ohio is a ruby red state. It has Senate representation is conservative. Trump won it in 2016. He won it in 2020. Yet they enshrined abortion into the state constitution. So what I want to ask you is this. What would you say to pro-life candidates that are running on a pro-life platform when they see something like this? A red state, so overwhelmingly Republican, vote for abortion. Should they change their tactics or should they stand their ground and continue to speak truth the way they always have? Um, well, you know, I work for a law firm, so I probably have to start with a, a little bit of a disclaimer. Um, in that <laughs> we're, uh, we're, we're a 501c3, so we're officially nonpartisan. Um, but in the in the political realm, I mean, me as you know, speaking personally, the, the type of representative that I want to vote for is somebody who's willing to stand on principle. And if you are uh, on on principle pro-life. You should continue advocating to protect life, um, to protect the unborn, and to protect uh, and provide you know, resources uh, for women and mothers, so that uh, every human life uh, that is equal in, uh, in dignity and value and potential uh, can can flourish. As I said before, that's um, really the baseline for all of the work we do: is setting the preconditions for human flourishing. Um, so you could probably do an entire show on, on what happened in Ohio, uh, but uh, and there there are other states that are putting things like this on the ballot. And I think for those who um, prioritize uh, the sanctity of life, uh, they really need to uh, kind of redouble their efforts at, uh, you know, basically in the court of public opinion. Um, because, as I said, after Dobbs, this has now been this issue has now been returned uh, to the people and, the, and the, their elected representatives. One way that states do this is sometimes uh, constitutional amendment. Uh, they may do it through state laws. But either way, uh, the, uh, the people in those states need to make sure that their elected representatives you know, have heard from them uh, what they want uh, from their policymakers. And then, you know, as those. Uh, scenarios play out, um, they may, you know, they, there's a possibility they may lead to further litigation. Um, 
to to define what those constitutional amendments mean when they're uh, when they're implemented. You know how they impact the law. So I think um, there will be uh, there will be more action in those states um, as those things pass or don't pass, or laws are passed or not passed, and um, how those laws are interpreted. All right, let's close with one of your more recent cases. Now, this is against the FDA for chemical abortion drugs. And it seems that you won at the circuit level, you won at the appellate level, but the Biden administration has appealed to the Supreme Court. So can you tell our audience a little bit about this case and what it involves and what you expect to come out of this SCOTUS ruling? Certainly. Um, so that case uh, really is about uh, the FDA, the Food and Drug Administration, um, abandoning their responsibility uh, to protect the health and safety of consumers when it comes to uh, drugs that are put on the market in this country. Um, the approval process for mifepristone, the drug in question, when it was initially, when it was initially approved, uh, the FDA had in, insisted on uh, very specific safety protocols, including uh, required in-person doctor visits, um, both before and after, um, and, and various other safety protocols. And then in 2016 and again in 2021, really without justification or much of an explanation, they lifted all of those safety protocols. So that's what we challenged in court that the FDA had violated its own uh, rules and uh, administrative law and how you go about uh, making decisions like that. And as you said, every court that has heard this has ruled in our favor. The Federal District Court did, the Fifth Circuit Court of Appeals did, um, but the Biden administration did appeal to the United States Supreme Court and the Supreme Court agreed to hear it. So um, we're preparing for that. Uh, probably will be argued in March of next year. And we're uh, hopeful that the Supreme Court will agree with every court that has heard this so far that uh, the FDA has violated its own rules, abandoned its responsibility to protect uh, women who, uh, who take this drug and that those safety protocols uh, should be put back in place. How does your group decide when you're going to get involved in a case or take a case? Is there a criteria? Is there a measuring stick? How do you figure out that, okay, we're going to jump in on this. We're going to fight for these people. Uh, walk us through that process, if you will. Sure. So it's, um, you know, we're, an, as I said, we're a 501c3. We're a nonprofit uh, ministry. And as a nonprofit, we never bill our clients for the work that we do. We're supported by donors that allows us never to charge our clients. So there's a lot of factors that go into which cases we're going to engage on. Uh, we want to be good stewards of our of our donors' uh, uh, donations. Uh, we want to look for the cases where we can have the most impact. Uh, there's there's a lot of factors, honestly, um, you know, depending on what the issue is, and we get, uh, you know on average, probably between four to 6,000 requests for help every year. Um, so we can't take every case just, you know, uh, based on the amount of time that our attorneys have and the, the amount of staff and resources that we have. So it, uh, this sounds like a lawyer's answer, but it depends, you know, <laughs> uh, it, it depends on the issue, uh, you know, the, the potential uh, for the greatest impact uh, so that we get uh, um, we maximize the the impact of our work and, and um, are good stewards of uh, the donations that come to us that allow us to do the work that we do at no charge to the clients. 
do you find you're getting one issue over the other that's being brought to you or just from your own personal experience? I know you've worked with some political figures, some pro-life figures. Do you see any one issue popping out that's concerning to you where people are being persecuted, where they're not having their voices heard when you look at all these petitions? Um, I think really on a global scale, uh, because we we also operate uh, and protect these rights um, in other countries as well, um, in Europe and Asia, Latin America, um, the rise of uh, censorship on a global scale is very concerning. Um, and that's why we um, advocate so strongly for these rights in America. Uh, as Americans, we're blessed that we have greater protections of those rights here than people do elsewhere. And America really needs to be uh, the example to the world. Um, and we're one of the last remaining countries really in Western civilization that are still um, advocating and, and protecting these rights to the degree that we do. So, you know, I live in Texas. The Alamo is a big deal here. Uh, I like to tell people America is like the Alamo of the world. Uh, we have to fight to the last man here because if we lose these rights here, there's really nowhere left to go. Uh, Amen. If we, so, if we go dark, it goes dark for the world. Exactly. And Ronald Reagan said we you know, are the shining city on a hill. Uh, we have to remain that. And that requires uh, vigilance and, uh, and zealous advocacy uh, to protect these rights here uh, to remain an example to the rest of the world. So why do you do what you do personally, if you can speak to it? When you joined this group, when you started this kind of work, what is it that drives you to get up every morning and help these people to fight for their rights? Uh, well, the short answer is uh, their names are uh, McKenna and Ashton Watts, my two daughters. Uh, <laughs> Good answer. Good answer. Um, I, you know, uh, I practiced law uh, briefly, uh, tell people just long enough to figure out I was probably not going to be happy in the traditional practice of law. Um, but I should also say, you know, ADF was pretty new back then, and I didn't really know about Alliance Defending Freedom back then. My career might have been different, but um, took kind of a long winding road back to the law. Uh, but I've always loved the law. And I what gets me out of bed every morning and sometimes keeps me up at night is that uh, I want the world that my daughters live and God willing if I have grandkids, uh, the world that they live in, uh, to be one where these rights are protected. Um, and so it's it's very personal to me um, as, as a believer to take what I've been blessed with, uh, you know, intellect, skill, whatever you want to call it, and, and use that uh, to benefit others. Um, you know, I, on a personal level, I don't really feel like I deserve a right if I'm unwilling to protect it for someone else. Um, and and that, you know, even for people that may vehemently disagree with me, um, you know, when, when you're talking about free speech, it's the unpopular opinion that really needs the most protection. And we see these days, you know, people not really wanting to, to provide equal protection. Uh, you know, if they disagree with something, they, they don't really want to pr protect that person's right to to live or speak um, according to their their deepest held beliefs, but that's a an unconstitutional uh, view of free speech, and it's very short sighted uh, because you know the things that that you hold most dear may be culturally popular now, but who knows five, ten, fifteen years from now if 
the culture, you know, the winds of culture shift uh, quite often and uh, pub, you know, public opinion can be quite fickle and can change you know, pretty quickly. And so if you're unwilling to protect the right, uh, someone's right to, to live and, and speak, you know, according to what they believe, uh, because it doesn't comport with your worldview, then you may find yourself on the receiving end of that uh, somewhere in the near future. That's the truth. And before we let you go, I just want to ask you, what would you say to people struggling with this erosion of freedom? Any advice for them to cope and hang in there and fight the good fight that you've learned on your journeys thus far? Certainly. Um, you know, there's it's kind of a good news, bad news scenario in that uh, we see the attacks on uh, religious liberty, on free speech uh, increasing uh, both in uh, number and severity. But the good news is we're winning. Uh, we win these cases um, on average, about 80% of the cases we engage in result in a victory. And so, you know, a lot of times you'll hear about the, the cases on the front end because there's some sort of, you know, controversy involved and, and controversy gets clicks, it gets eyeballs, it gets viewers, it gets readers, even, but then when we get around to actually winning the case, it's sometimes harder to get attention to the fact that we won. Um, so I want people to have, um, hope because when you have hope you have nothing to fear and people need to understand that you know if you're willing to to take a stand uh you will not stand alone uh, that's that is the, the purpose the mission of alliance defending freedom and we will if we are able to take your case and engage on your behalf we do so at no charge and we do so as i said to protect these rights for ourselves uh for our children and, and future generations Lathan Watts, Alliance Defending Freedom, a message of hope and a brighter future. Thank you so much for joining us and please keep up the good fight. Thank you. Thanks for having me. All right. That's our show for today. Thank you so much for tuning in this week and supporting conservative media. And as always, remember that by staying vigilant, we conservatives can bring our country back to true greatness. Until next week, let us continue to pray that God will bless America. Until then. First Right, a new kind of news summary without the liberal slant. Every morning, in your inbox, always free. Subscribe by texting First Right to 30161. That's First Right, all caps, one word, to 30161.